I live in an apartment building that has four apartments on each floor. The apartments are split into two groups by something we call a bubble. Basically, two apartments share this bubble, and there's a metal door guarding them before each tenant goes to their own doors. My husband works as a doctor, so he had to go to work for his night shift. I usually do household chores when he goes to work, so the house is clean when he comes back in the morning. I turn on a Scary Stories podcast on my Xbox and do my work. I have two cats, Zena, who is five years old, and Marcel, who is three months old, that are usually very playful during this time at night. At one point, they both stop chasing each other and stare at the door without moving or blinking. Zena, my oldest, having her back curled and slightly hissing under the door, she never expresses such behavior. She's the chillest, most like bad cat there is, so having her act like this made me very curious. At the same time, one of the stories I was listening to was about home invaders. Also, from the local news, we had been informed how most of the times said invaders will check the houses out that they want to break into and learn the owner's schedules and such before trying to break into the home. This made me feel very insecure and I turned on the volume lower in order to hear what was going on on the other side of the door. Which by the way, it's impossible to get there unless you unlock the first metal door which has the sole purpose of extra protection for me and my neighbor's apartment. My neighbor is a lonely old lady that has two cats of her own and is, ironically, the building manager. It must have been around midnight and she most likely would be sound asleep by that time. I turn the volume on the TV down and go closer to the door, Zena still not moving from her position, pressing my ear against the door, searching for sounds. I couldn't hear much, except a distinguished sound of heavy breathing, like an alcoholic breathing heavily. It gave me goosebumps and I immediately started looking around the house for something to defend myself in the worst case scenario, thinking that if he broke past the metal door all by himself, then my apartment door might not be a challenge for him. I took my husband's baseball bat and held on it with my life. I took my cats and hid them in the cupboard under the sink. I don't know why. I don't have children yet, but that was the first thing that came into my mind. Then I went back to the door. I opened the peephole to look at the person breathing through my door at midnight, and my heart sank to my stomach. All I could see was an eye, a very veiny, red, and popped out eye staring back at me, right into my soul, followed by repeated and faster breathing as if it knew I was watching back. I didn't move or make a sound, hoping that the creep would just go away, but that was not the case. Even when I moved back from the door, I could see the knob moving frantically. He was trying to get inside, murmuring something that I couldn't make out, as if on a frenzy. I freeze holding the baseball bat to my shoulder level, preparing myself to bash this guy's head in if he managed to get inside. As he was trying desperately to get inside, fighting with both the doorknob and the keyhole, I could hear noises coming from the keyhole and the idea came into mind. I rushed into the living room which was very close to the entrance door and blast out the scary story podcast. Luckily, this specific story was narrated by a man with a very heavy voice and from the outside, it probably sounded like someone was having a conversation inside the apartment. I live in a country that English isn't the native language and only a few people speak it. What I prayed would work actually did. 
The moment I blasted the volume to max, the doorknob stopped moving and the breathing ceased. And as I went back to the door, I checked the peephole for that creepy man. He was no longer there, but the middle outside door was wide open. Of course, my neighbor only wakes up from my podcast and basically screaming at my house asking me to turn it down. I tell her what happened and how come she hasn't heard anything. She said she had her TV on as well so that she doesn't feel alone and didn't hear anything going on in the hallway between our apartments. We both examined the middle door asking each other if we had left it open. I even called my husband at work to ask him the same thing. He told me no and that he locked it and checked twice as usual. I don't know what I would have done if this expert in door breaking actually managed to break into my house, but I don't think he was in for the worst for me and my cats. I never thought that of all the possibilities of salvation, the Scary Story podcast would have been what saved my life. Thank you being scared for narrating and indirectly of course, saving my life. When I was about 8 years old, my parents were going through a divorce and me and my older sister used to spend a lot of time at our grandparents house. It's a long ranch style home on the corner of a very nice neighborhood that's a 10 minute walk from a gas station, grocery store, and the few fast food restaurants. The streets were long and lined with well manicured houses cradled by big scenic California Valley Hills all around. We were never very wealthy, but my grandpa bought a fixer-upper many years ago, and the property value skyrocketed since then. As you can imagine, it's a very safe spot, and although there weren't many other kids in the neighborhood, it wasn't uncommon to see our neighbors walking their dogs or pushing a stroller down the sidewalk outside our house. Although my mom was especially protective all of our lives, this particular neighborhood was densely populated and my family knew just about everyone who lived there. She grew up in this neighborhood herself, so she was understandably trusting. She would once in a while let my sister and I walk to the gas station on the other end of the block to grab a snack. I would always get a ring pop and my sister would grab a three musketeers before we made our way back home. My sister was about 11 at the time and this small amount of freedom was a really big deal for us. Nothing compared to walking down the street all by ourselves in the summertime, laughing and joking around, a couple dollar bills in our pocket. I felt like I owned the world. The one oddity I ever noticed was a small camper parked on the side of the road opposite to the gas station, right along the backside of a fence of another house. It sat there in the shade like a permanent fixture, all the windows constantly covered by beige curtains. I can't explain why, but it always gave me this deep sense of foreboding when I'd pass it. I was almost positive someone was living inside it because, at times, I could hear the air conditioning running as it sat stagnant in the same spot. The hairs on my neck would always stand up on end as I passed it, particularly as I passed the camper door, and I'd always keep an eye on it for the fear that one day it would swing open just as I came to pass by. I think what bothered me the most was the drawing taped to the door from the inside. It was extremely messy, a sketch of odd lines in a brown colored pencil that was frustratingly indiscernible. 
I could see the outline of something, a vague shape, but could never make out what it was intended to be. I never had the nerve to stop and stare long enough to really investigate, but each time I walked by, I'd still a glance. A year prior to the incident I'm about to describe, I was walking with my mom past a camper in the shade. We had just gone to the park nearby and unfortunately had to pass a camper before we could cross the street and continue walking. I didn't want to seem afraid, so I kept walking right behind her and didn't object when she walked past it. This time, I felt a little more brave. I was frustrated not being able to decipher the drawing for so long and while my mom was feet away, I stopped in front of the camper door and took a moment to really look at the drawing. Upon closer inspection, paper was filthy. I remember doing a project in elementary school where we soaked printer paper in black coffee to make it look aged, and that's what it reminded me of. My mom walked on without noticing I stopped following her, but my eyes stayed fixed on the indistinct mass of dirt cake scribbles until I could make out what looked like a teeny, malformed face. My stomach turned. I merely felt cold and disgusted as my eyes trailed over the rest of the image. I didn't know what kind of creature it was at the time, but now I can look back and say the drawing was a badly deformed fetus inside of a mass of large, perfect circles like those made from a circular ring ruler. Its face was contorted as if in pain. It was so graphically disturbing and seemed to betray an odd sense of suffering that stuck with me for days. As a child, I didn't know how to process it, and the mental image still makes me sick to think about. I'd never seen anything like it before. Adrenaline flooded my body and my chest hurt with fear, but I selfishly thought of my glorious trips for ring pops and said absolutely nothing as I followed behind my mom. This was in retrospect a classically terrible idea. It's one of those things you scream at the main characters in movies for. Ever since, my ill feelings towards this camper have been elevated by the drawing on the door. I thought about it every time we drove by, and about a month later, my mom once again graced us with several bucks and permission to walk down to the gas station to grab our respective snacks. I thought about telling my sister what I had seen there, but she was older and braver, and I was terrified she'd make me cross the street with her to check it out. It was a bright sunny day and I told myself with false certainty that nothing was going to happen. If I didn't acknowledge it, maybe it will go away. We walked past the camper and it was thankfully uneventful. On the walk back, I was feeling more comfortable and was focused on fighting open my candy wrapper while my sister walked alongside me. We passed the camper for the second time, but I didn't give it half as much thought as the first time. I don't remember what we were talking about. But I recall being interrupted mid-sentence as my sister softly yet firmly said my name. There was distinct fear in her voice that immediately set me on edge, like a bucket of ice water. All my senses heightened and I became aware of everything, including the sound of haphazard footsteps about 10 feet behind us. It was accompanied by a heavy rustling sound, like a heavy backpack, and nervously I half turned my head to look. A man with a long, unkempt beard, wearing many layers of ragged clothing, stood behind us, his eyes unmistakably burning into our backs as he walked. His movement wasn't normal. It was a drunken shuffle, like each of his feet were unimaginably heavy and needed to be moved in one grand effort at a time. 
His shoulders were skewed, head tilted downwards with a very strange arch in his neck. I could hear his shoes scraping the gravel with every step, but rather than seeming generally intoxicated, it was as if he was intentionally meandering our direction like a zombie with the direct effort to frighten us. Behind him, I saw that the camper door was wide open for the first time in all the years we spent living there and realized this was the man who had been living inside. He's following us, I choked out, my eyes filled with tears. My mind was spinning as I stared straight ahead, the wide street and sidewalks abnormally empty all around. My sister grabbed my hand. She squeezed it hard enough to hurt without looking my way, speaking carefully under her breath. On the count of three, we race home. She told me in a very serious tone of voice. I couldn't reply through the growing lump in my throat, but every single cell in my body understood we had to put some distance between us and this man as quickly as possible. She began to count steadily while we walked faster. The most terrifying part of this was he started running before we even had a chance to. He must have heard her direction to me and tried to get a head start by sprinting in our direction before she got to three. But his footsteps were noisy and we bolted like a deer in an instant when we heard him behind us. I'll never forget it. The chase felt exactly like you imagine in your nightmares. The fear your pursuer is inches away from grabbing your arm or a fistful of your hair. I pictured myself being dragged into the van with no one around to see or hear me. We ran so fast we didn't even have a breath to scream. Peering back behind us about 10 seconds later, I saw him running in our direction with absolutely none of the impairment he had shown in those zombie-like steps moments before. I think back to it now, and he may have been deliberately pretending to be handicapped to lower our guard so we wouldn't start running. The thought is terrifying, but I can't rationalize it any other way. When we made it to our grandparents' house, and without looking behind us, we yanked open the stubborn old door before slamming it closed and scrambling past their dogs to get as deep into the house as possible. I don't even think we locked it, as our main goal was getting within the line of sight of any adults as quickly as possible. My mom was talking to my grandpa at the table and gave us an unamused look when we bounded into the living room. Since we were kids, running around wasn't anything out of the ordinary, and she didn't even ask what happened as we collapsed on the couch and tried to catch her breath. The inside of the house felt so safe and felt in such good spirits that I didn't even want to bring up what just happened. Like waking up from a nightmare you didn't want to talk about. I was desperate to go back to normalcy. I wanted to forget it entirely, to unwrap my candy and act like everything was completely normal for the sake of my own sanity. And that's exactly what I did. I asked my sister a few years back if she remembered the incident. I'm 25 and she's 28 now, and her response was strange. She remembered it immediately, without the need for me to provide any details, but she quickly waved it off and insisted that it had to be a bored homeless man looking to spook some kids walking home with no real intent to harm anyone. I don't know, I like to believe it's some innocent misunderstanding, but like they always say about your gut feeling, they're rarely wrong. I feel in my soul that he wanted to hurt me and my sister that day. I never told her or anyone else about the strange drawing on the door, and I'm not sure if my sister saw the door open and connected it to the camper or not, 
It's one of my biggest regrets, as I would hate for any of the children to have been less fortunate after innocently walking past a camper in the shade. I believe he may have chosen the spot between the park and the gas station deliberately due to the number of children walking around the area. I never sold the camper again. I'm not proud of how I handled this and would encourage anyone who finds himself in a similar situation to contact the authorities immediately for the safety of others around. I don't know if maybe this whole story comes off melodramatic, but it was very real and very frightening in a way I can't forget. So possibly deranged camper guy by the gas station, whatever your intent was, let's not meet. Back when I used to work for a large public four-year university, I would frequently visit some friends who lived in an apartment complex near the school. They were a married couple with a baby daughter. They are now amicably divorced and the baby is a preteen. So this was definitely a while ago. Whenever I was over, the husband, Jay, and I would sit on the balcony and relax after work while E, the wife, would mostly stay inside the unit with the baby that is, when we weren't all inside hanging out together. The balcony overlooked a bit of the woods between the building and the street with the main entrance to the school. The balcony wasn't very visible from the other buildings in the complex, which suited us fine. It was on such a night that we heard an ear-splitting shriek coming from the woods below to shatter the relatively peace and quiet we were enjoying on the third floor balcony. It sounded like a young woman giving her best effort to make sure someone could find her body whenever what was happening to her was over. The screaming broke out again and after a few seconds, a third time. I immediately thought of Kitty Genevieve, a 20 year old woman who was stabbed to death in the alley in Queens in 1964. It was a prolonged attack, reportedly witnessed or overheard by 38 neighbors who were either indifferent to the noise unsure of the severity of the attack, or otherwise unwilling to get involved. This case has come to be associated with the bystander effect. The basic idea in which is that the more people who are around to witness something that might require intervention, the less likely that any one individual is to unleash their inner Batman because it's such a diffusion of the responsibility over all the people there at the scene. Essentially, everyone stands around like a background extra, just waiting for their protagonist to do something heroic. I was jolted from my pedantic reverie when Jay shot past me through the sliding glass door into the apartment to put his shoes on and rush out the apartment door. I followed and he caught me by the arm. I could see in her eyes that she heard the screaming too. Don't let him go out there. Make him come back, she pleaded as I shook my head. Call the police, I replied, as I slid my shoes on without tying them and followed Jay down the stairs. I wished I had something to use as a weapon, and I mentally tried to review as much as I could of what my roommate at the time had taught me about hand-to-hand -hand combat. I was feeling woefully unprepared and, at the same time, incapable of turning around. It felt like a moment where choices I make define who I am, and I knew I would always feel shame and regret if I didn't try to help her. When I got to ground level, I caught up to Jay, who was looking around in the woods, straining his eyes against the low light. I called the police myself, hoping a few calls from the same area about the same disturbance 
might engender a sense of urgency. The call dropped, but the police called back immediately. I told them where we were and what was happening. The woods were quiet at this point, but we started walking along the edge of the woods, looking and listening for anything that could help us locate the woman, her attacker, or God forbid, her remains. Above us, a window slid open, revealing a silhouette of a woman looking down at us, backlit by our kitchen light. Hey, what's going on down there? She demanded. I've called the police. Good, I answered. So do we. We heard it too. Oh gosh, what do you think it was? She asked us. Jay and I looked at each other and then back up at her as we collectively realized that none of us wanted to say out loud what we thought it was. I mean, we all knew what it sounded like. We couldn't see or hear anything unusual. And eventually, we made contact with the police officer, who took our statements and contact information. Relieved that the situation had been handed over to people who were ostensibly better trained and equipped to deal with it, we went upstairs and back to the balcony, where we watched the police officer's flashlight beams pan back and forth across the depths of the woods. For a couple hours, as blue lights filled the spaces between the trees from the busy street across the woods, signaling the arrival of more police. The next day at work, I got a call from a number that looked vaguely familiar but wasn't in my phone. I picked up and found that it was a local police number from the night before. The person on the other end asked me to tell my version of the events once more for record. I don't know if he was trying to see any discrepancies in my story from the last time I officially told it, but I went through everything again, as well as I could remember it. The police didn't have any new information, at least none that they were willing to share, and I was never called to court or anything like that. I guess the main thing that still bothers me about it, even to this day, is that I'll never know what happened out there. Hi all, here's what happened. I'm at my parents' house with my mother drinking coffee. I decided to drop by unexpectedly to spend some time with her since I had worked a lot the weeks before and hadn't heard much from her. So we were talking when the intercom starts ringing. My parents live on the first floor of a neighborhood building. My mother goes to see, picks up the receiver and there the expression on her face changes she seems stressed, but she opens the doorway. She then comes back to me saying it's a guy she met on Facebook that she hadn't seen for a year and a half and that we would have to say that we were going to grandma's so he won't stay for long. That's my mom's technique when she wants to dodge problems. We go to my grandma's very often. I'm starting to think it's weird, but we hear knocking so my mom opens the door while I stay in my chair overlooking the entrance. I see a rather tall man coming in, of normal built, bald, with small glasses. As soon as he entered the apartment, I felt the atmosphere change. Something oppressive was squeezing my chest. He kisses my mother and turns his head towards the living room where I am. Then he frowns when he sees me, as if he was surprised to find me here. I don't like it. His gaze is empty, disturbing. He says hello to me from afar and walks into the living room, grabs a chair and sits down. My mother then asks him what he's doing there and why he arrived without calling first. The answer froze my blood. I'm sorry, I didn't take my phone. I'm actually coming from the hospital next door. 
I escaped, and since you told me you lived around, I decided to stop by and say hello. At first I thought he was joking, especially since he said it with a big smile, but his eyes were really weird, and his attitude too. My mother laughed nervously, and asked him if he was serious, to which he replied he was. He even gave us the name of the town he had came from, and told us how he ran away. He tells us that he was outside with three doctors on the terrace, and that the doctors came in before him while telling him to follow them. He took that opportunity to leave, passing over a hedge that overlooks the road where there is a bus stop. He got on the first passing bus and found himself not far from our house. He didn't know our exact address, but thanks to my mother, who gives her real name on social networks, he knew the last name and searched all the inner phones in the neighborhood before finding out where we were. While he was telling the story, I went on Google Maps to check out where he said he was coming from, and everything matched. The hedge overlooking the road, the back terrace, the bus stop. But most of all, it was not just any hospital he escaped from. It was a psychiatric hospital. So I started to get really scared, for myself, but especially my mother. We have an escapee from a mental hospital in our house. He then explains to my mother why she hasn't heard from him for a year. He said it was because he came back there a year and a half ago after he lost his wife and all his money, but he didn't linger on it for very long. It was too much for me, so I got up and said I had to go to my room. I went in. The door wasn't closing, but I took out my phone and called my best friend, who is a security guard who lives 20 minutes away, by car. I tell him what's going on, and he decides to come armed with a knife just in case. When I hang up the phone, I go out of my room and I see the man in the corridor near the door. He tells us that he's gonna leave because people were probably looking for him and that he has to go to a friend's house, but that he has to take the train. We say our goodbyes to him and then he leaves, but that's not all. I then explain to my mother what just happened that she was crazy to have given her name and address, even approximate, to a stranger on the internet. And then she tells me last year, she was at his house with my father, that his wife was there, and that they all had a great time, and she didn't consider him dangerous. I still go on telling her that someone that you've only met once is not someone that you can trust. My buddy then arrives, sooner than expected, we decided to call the hospital to make sure what he said was true, and especially to warn and report that someone is missing. We call, talk to the secretary, and explain our story. She seems surprised and puts us on hold until she checks it out. When she comes back, she tells us that he's not in his room anymore, that all his stuff is there and they hadn't noticed he was gone. It had been more than two hours since he had escaped, but since the guards had seen his belongings when they passed by his door, they hadn't worried. She, however, warns us that he's a dangerous psychotic who had a crisis after his wife left him, that he can be extremely violent if he's upset. At that moment, I could only think of one thing. What would have happened if I hadn't been there with my mother, if she had been alone with that guy? She told us that they were gonna do whatever was necessary. We asked her if we could be kept informed when they had found him, but she told us that she had no right to give us that kind of information. We then raised our voices and explained that we shouldn't be afraid of him coming back every day, 
and she apologizes but says she can't do anything about it. We hung up the phone and decided with my friend to go walk around the neighborhood for several hours and over the next few days to see if he's still there, but we never saw him again. All this story, which really happened, has a great moral. Never give your address to strangers and never reveal personal information on social networks. That's it. The story happened when I was a little kid in Trinidad. I'm not precisely sure how old I was, but thinking about the car and the uniform I was wearing at the time, I was in the range of 6 to 8. I'm 33 now, so this would have had to have been in the early 90s. My parents had picked me up from school and were picking up my sister from school. This was a daily occurrence, and most of the time it only took a couple of minutes to get her and come back to the car. Most of the time, I sat in the car by myself, listening to the radio. This day, however, they were taking longer than usual. I started to get bored and was looking outside the window when I saw this man walking down the street. This is the strangest part of the story. Something about him creeped me out, even before I could see him clearly. I wasn't a particularly fearful child when it came to strangers, and he didn't look scary at all. But every instinct in my little kid brain screamed at me to lock the car doors. So I did. As he came closer to the car, he saw that I was in there and started talking to me. And then he started telling me to get out of the car and go with him. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I was so scared. Then he tries to open the car doors. When he realized that the doors were locked, he backed up a little and started asking me to open the car doors again. As he was doing this, my parents and sister came out of the school. My dad asked him what he was doing, and he just gave them some generic answer and walked off. To this day, I don't know what about him gave me the strong reaction I had, but I'm so thankful for it. And that one experience taught me the importance of listening to my instincts. This happened about two years ago when I tried to get into the dating scene using Bumble after my first relationship ended. This guy, we'll call him Kyle, was one of my first matches on the app. Everything went smoothly. He seemed very nice and goal oriented. After about two weeks of talking, we decided to finally meet up. The whole date was a disaster. I'll sum up everything he did during it. I know some of you will ask, but I didn't have a license or a car to bail, as much as I wish I did. My brother drove me to the meeting spot. Kyle took me to a little airport cafe, since it's right next to our basic three-seated airplane airport. He began talking about his ex and how she was pregnant. He went into detail about the hospital fees he paid, thinking that it was his kid, until the baby was born. She had cheated on him based off of a very different skin color of the baby that it obviously couldn't be his. Then Kyle began to talk about his mother who had some problems as she liked to tase her kids including him and watch them seize up. He told me that he had health problems from this. Then he began to talk about getting his pilot's license and how he always wanted to propose to someone in a plane. Literally the next thing he said was, so have you ever been up in one of those little planes? With a wink. 
then continued to say that he was in a midlife crisis and planned to die at 40, but that I had given him a reason to live. After we ate, we left. The day continued, as Kyle said that there was nothing to do in my town, and he wanted to drive two hours away to the next big one, where there's more stuff to do. I declined, and he changed his intent with actually wanting to see his friend down there. I told him that I would be okay if he dropped me off at a local store and he could go by himself. He got upset and pretended to turn around and head back into my town. Then Kyle pulled over on the side street with many houses and asked if I would like to practice driving. I said no of course because I hadn't even read the little book that DMVs give out and his car was one of those expensive Mustangs. I wasn't going to crash it. Then he pouted, said he needed gas and onto the gas station we went. When we get to the gas station, he asked about my previous relationships. I said it wasn't something that I would talk to someone that was so new, and clarified it wasn't a good one. This seemed like a good time to leave, as even though it's a gas station with only pumps, I could easily walk to the store and call my brother. But of course, Kyle wouldn't have that. He locked me in the car. I got frantic trying to find the lock to pull or push, but there weren't any. He said that he only had locks on his side and he wanted to know about my ex. I began to have an anxiety attack and scratched on my head, hyperventilating, crying. He simply sat there and watched me do it without saying a word. After about an hour I finally could breathe calmly and told him my ex was a friend that I had known for 9 years. Then after the relationship started he became abusive. He simply responded with, okay and let me out. I called my brother a few times and he didn't pick up and I wanted to get home. So I agreed to let him drive me home with a plan of dropping me off near a neighbor's house because I didn't want him knowing where my parents lived. After he dropped me off, he messages me on the app about how I ruined the date and made it awkward and that I was weird. I confronted him about how uncomfortable and scared he made me feel, which he responded with, okay and then unmatched me. I deleted the app after and didn't re-download it for another 6 months to try again, but it was the most terrifying day of my life. This happened a few years ago. I'm a female and was 20 years old. I had just gotten into the tender scene and was pretty new to the whole thing. One of my first matches I had was this guy named Zach. Zach seemed super cool and we messaged back and forth on the platform about video games, anime, and about generic other things in our lives for about a week. Finally, Zach asked if we could meet up. I figured enough time had gone by and he hadn't given me any red flags so I said yes. We set a date for the next day and then I made my first big mistake. I gave him my address to pick me up. Looking back on this now, I realize how stupid I was to do that and things could have gone a lot worse than they did. The next day comes and I spend much of the morning nervously getting ready for my first real Tinder date. Thankfully, my roommate Sarah was also home with me and experienced the whole ordeal. About 30 minutes before Zach was supposed to pick me up, Sarah and I watched two cars pull up in front of our four unit apartment building. Three of these redneck looking creepy countrymen get out. 
They looked to be about 40, so Sarah and I paid them no mind. The next thing we know, we hear loud banging on the main door. Our building is locked, unless you are a tenant, so they clearly didn't belong. Me being as naive as I was, thought that they were there for one of the other building residents and stupidly opened the door to ask them who they were looking for. The guy in the middle said, we're here for... At that moment, I went from friendly to confused to scared. I didn't like the way they were looking at me. I told him that that was me. Third mistake. He gave me the creepiest once over and said, oh yes. You look just like your pictures. This sent a chill down my spine and I demanded to know who they were and what they wanted. The guy in the middle said that they were friends with Zach and that they were here to pick me up for our date. I asked him where Zach was. He just snickered and said, he's in the car and pointed to the second car, which was strategically parked behind a tree. So I couldn't see if Zach was actually in there or not. Luckily, I'm not that stupid. I told him that if Zack wanted me to go out to the car, then he could come and get me himself. Then the guy on the right steps up and asks if I would like to get with him. I went to shut the door but he shoved his boot into the frame before I could close it. The man on the right then says, if you won't fuck me, fuck my buddies at least. At that moment, Sarah comes out of the lobby, yanks me into our apartment and locks the door. They banged on the door for a few minutes and Sarah called the cops. They left shortly after and we watched from the living room as they got back into the cars and drove away. There was nobody else in the car. What's even worse is a couple hours later, I got a message from Zach saying, I'm so sorry. My friends took my phone and thought that they would play a prank on me. Don't worry, you'll see that I'm a good guy when we actually meet. I blocked him instantly and deleted my Tinder. The cops couldn't do anything because I didn't get their names or license plate, so I never did find out what happened to those guys. This was in November in Scotland. I was desperate, I must admit. I had been single and alone for some time and it was driving me crazy. That's when I met Laura. She came across as a very sweet girl and all, but she was in a hurry to meet me. So I did. She insisted that we go to a pub and no fancy dates were necessary. And I didn't mind that. At first glance, I knew I'd been swindled. She looked different from what I saw before, but I didn't really mind. I was just happy to have a date and I'm not exactly good looking myself. I gave her a chance to redeem herself. We got talking and after a few beers, things started to get more intimate. Before I go any further, she was quite an overweight girl with long dark hair and she had eyeshadow similar to Amy Winehouse and she said that she was a huge fan. I asked her about her hobbies and interests but she asked me to talk more about myself. I told her about my job and she yawned sarcastically. Let's talk about your sex life she said. She slipped her foot out of her shoe and started rubbing it on my groin. Needless to say I was aroused. So yeah, I don't have much to say in that department, and it's been a while since I had sex, so I was very honest with her. I asked her about hers, and she said she has her kinks, and that she's done things that I never imagined. Want to see what I can do? She said, let's go to my place. 
So at this point, I was starting to feel very drunk, which I was amazed as I was only on my fourth pint. I did have two shots though. We waited for a taxi and she was holding my hand, excitedly whispered into my ear that she was going to do some things that I have never experienced before. In a way, I actually couldn't wait to just sleep. My head felt heavier than the rest of my body. It was like the ground was moving beneath my feet. The rest was a blur. I can't even remember getting into the taxi, but I do remember falling down the stairs and she was above me, laughing at me. Come on, she said, get your sexy ass up here. I struggled up the stairs and before I know it, from what I remember, I was in her bedroom naked and it was like I blacked out. I tried to sit up only to find myself tied to her bed by my arms and legs. Then she entered the room dressed in bondage gear. I was deeply aroused but confused at the same time. She performed sex acts on me before having full intercourse. I laid there in delight, don't get me wrong, but something still felt off about it all. I had dozed off for a bit and had been woken up by a strange screeching sound. What are you doing? I said as she was wrapping my legs in cling film. Hush now, she said. This is the best bit. I was no longer tied to the bed, but I felt numb, and I couldn't move my arms or legs. She kept wrapping me up, from my legs upward. I was screaming at her to stop, and she placed some cling film in my mouth to shut me up. I struggled to breathe at this point, and I tried my best to dislodge the ball from my mouth. Eventually, I was totally wrapped up from head to toe. I could barely see out of the cling film. She told me that this was my punishment for being terrible in bed and that she has many other victims just like me all wrapped up waiting to die. She left the room and I gave out muffled screams then I felt myself slowly fading away. I woke up to what was the next day now able to breathe. This time people were looking at me. They removed most of the clean film and resuscitated me. I wasn't aware of this till they told me. It turned out that I wasn't actually in Laura's flat, but an old-fashioned hotel. The police were all over, asking me questions about what happened. I attempted to show them her Tinder profile, but she had deleted the page. I'm grateful for my rescuers that had saved me, but I'm forever traumatized by the incident and ended up having panic attacks when I see people similar to her. It took me a few years to finally trust people enough to go on dates, but I'm still on the road to recovery mentally. I'm just glad I'm still alive, but wonder if she's still out there and if there are others like me that didn't make it. This happened to me about an hour ago, and I can't seem to wrap my head around it. I was riding my moped back to my house when I pulled up to a red light. 
Next to me, there's a budget moving truck. And before I could make it right on the red light, I heard multiple loud bangs and screams coming from the back of the truck. There were two pedestrians who also noticed it. And as soon as we turned our attention to the driver, the light turned green and it took off pretty quickly. I wasn't able to get the license plate because everything happened so fast, but I can't seem to shake the thought of someone screaming for help in the back of that truck. It almost feels straight out of a movie. Anyways, I wanted to know what you guys think or if you've ever encountered something like this before. And if you did, what did you do? So recently I moved to an older house with my whole family, my mom, aunts, uncles, brothers, and cousins, so that we could take care of our grandparents who were very old. The only house that had enough rooms for all of us and was available is a very, very old wooden house. In the room of one of my cousins, there's a small door that leads into a kind of a basement. The former owner of the house said that he lost the only key to that door a long time ago. That already left me with anxiety and nervousness. My cousin says at night it makes little noises and my uncle says that there are probably mice inside. At that same time, some of my cousin's things and mine are disappearing. My room is right next to his. The food we bought in large quantities because of the number of people has been going too fast. My mom says it's because our cousins are going through puberty and eating a lot, but I hear strange noises in the house and I feel like I'm being watched. Everyone else says that I only have that impression because I'm a pussy and the house is old. I have always been a paranoid and very anxious person and I confess that I am quite fearful. But I'm not able to relax a minute in this house because it feels like someone unwanted is in it. I know that no one in my family is going to investigate or worry about it because I'm just a 15 year old kid with a big imagination according to them. But I can't stop this constant fear in this place. So I walk my dog every day at late hours so she can sleep through the night. She's a bit old by now and she once got into a traffic accident meaning that she can't hold her pee every now and then. The route is almost the same every time at almost the same hours 9pm through 10pm. My fiance and I live in the more quiet part of town and by this time of night it's even more quiet and no one is in the streets in this part. Additionally, it's more of a side street with less than no street lights or houses. There's a certain part of bushes and a part of grass where my dog likes to do her business. She's outgoing and very cheerful, likes to jump around and run. But this one day, at this part of our route, she was kind of acting up, like she was cautious or something. I felt her uneasiness and felt somewhat anxious myself by now. So we go out of our way where her favorite potty place is and proceed with our routine. As I stand there, I heard sounds behind me, like branches being moved and leaves being stepped on. And my dog reacted to it with a mixture of growling and whimpering. I'm fucking nervous at this point and just want to go home. I proceed on my way, 
No longer than several minutes later, a man came out of the bushes where I stood before with my dog. He stared directly in my way, just standing there. I froze in surprise and fear, and I couldn't move. My dog barked, and all of a sudden, he sprinted towards me. At this point, I kind of ran without thinking. I arrived then on a path with houses and, thank God, light. I looked behind me, and he wasn't there anymore. I always felt safe when walking there, but lately, I get a feeling that I'm being watched or followed. I can't describe it. My dog sent something, too, a few weeks before. I didn't tell my fiance that this happened because I didn't want her to worry. Nothing similar ever happened again, but I still freak out when I walk that way. So shady man waiting in the bushes at night. Let's not meet again. Nowadays, it's so easy to connect with someone. All you have to do is pick up your phone, download an app, and boom. Now you can see all the eligible bachelors in a close radius without getting out of bed. But just a year ago, something happened that changed my mind about online dating forever. I was 21 at the time and getting a bit tired of my mundane life. I was scrolling down through a popular dating app and that's when I saw him. Tall, blonde, blue eyes, pretty smile, perfect. We instantly matched and agreed on dinner and cuddles at his place. Yes, I know. Never go to a stranger's house on the first date, but I was trying to score a home run, if you know what I mean. I shower, slip on my favorite pair of kicks, threw on a big t-shirt and shorts, rubbed my favorite perfume and was out the door. When I pulled up to his three-story townhouse, I said, hmm, his living arrangements seemed to match up with his line of work, so of course, I had no doubt he was who he said he was. I go up to his door and knock. About 15 seconds later, the most handsome man I've ever laid my eyes on opened the door. Instantly, we connected. We dated for about four weeks, but one day, he looks over at me and says, Can I tell you something? Well, of course, babe, quickly answered, eager to hear what he was going to say. He looks me dead in the eye, straight face, and says, When I saw you on the app, I planned on killing you. His hand reaches over and caresses mine. But I changed my mind. Chills went down my spine as I knew he was not joking. Completely paralyzed in fear, I just stared at him, unable to speak, unable to move. He moves closer and says, Babe. And that's when I snapped out of it. I grabbed my purse, ran out of his door, blocked and deleted his number, and quite frankly, deleted the whole app. Hot guy from the dating app, let's never ever fucking meet again. I'm a male, if that matters, and this has been happening these past few days. Four days ago, I couldn't fall asleep when I saw a light coming into my living room from the window around 2.30 a.m. Layout of my apartment. The entrance door goes to my living room. To the right is the bedroom of my roommate, who hasn't been here for a week. To the left is my kitchen, then my bedroom, and then the bathroom. The apartment is on the ground floor, and the first one when you enter the building. 
when I get up, my dog, half Labrador, half Border Collie, is growling. The light moved towards my dog and me. It turns off and I can hear someone walking away. This morning, I wake up at 4 a.m. to my dog growling. She likes to sleep under my bed and I kind of saw a shape in the kitchen window. We do that half dance of moving to the left and right, kind of like seeing if it's real. My dog walks towards the door of the apartment and stays there. I grabbed a machete and a flashlight, walked out. My dog is going nuts and I didn't let her out. The building door is closed and I couldn't really see anything out of the ordinary. I went back inside and closed the door. And for half an hour later, I hear someone walking down the stairs and around the building and opening the door. But this was around 5 a.m., so it could have been someone going to work. This is very tame compared to other stories that are posted here, but this situation has me unnerved. This happened a few years ago when I was 16 or 17. I don't remember. I'm a female. I was chilling with my best friend, who was the same age, in kind of an empty street. I live in a big city and it's broad daylight, but the streets are always like that. Some people walked by, but mostly in cars. We were sitting somewhere in the street and drinking Red Bull, listening to music. Then a black car stopped in front of us and an old lady was inside, looking sort of rich. She seemed to be wearing nice clothes and jewelry, and her hair was well done. First, I thought she was going to ask us something, like most people do, but as soon as she opened her mouth, I knew something was off. The way she talked was weird. Just weird. I don't really know how to explain it. It was like hearing someone that was on too much Xanax or an opiate. I remember asking myself if she was on drugs. This kind of slow and slightly slurred speech. She said that she could buy us alcohol and beers. Then she insisted on how pretty we were and how she could buy us nice things if we got into her car. My friend was very tense since the beginning, but she looked at me slightly panicked when the old lady said this. We both knew that there was absolutely no way that we would get into the car. I said to the lady that if she wanted to buy us nice things, she could just give it to us right there. But she kept saying that she could give us a ride. I kept looking around and in the back of the car to see if there were men with her, ready to run away with my friend. At this point, adrenaline was going wild and I had flashbacks of the movie Taken and the kidnapping. I was ready to leave the spot with my friend when the old lady finally understood that we weren't getting into her car. When she left, my friend and I moved to a different spot. We talked about it and what the lady was planning for us. We agreed that it was probably sex trafficking because it had all the red flags. The old lady gaining her trust, the comments on our appearance, how she wanted to get us drunk with beers, etc. After that, my biggest regret was that I didn't take a picture of the car and the license plate number. And the thought of other girls getting kidnapped by this lady is haunting me and I really hope no one got in her damn car. Just some background about how I sleep. It isn't hard to wake me up, but it's hard to keep me up. I'll almost always open my eyes for a few seconds, say something, to shoo away whoever woke me up. 
and then fall back asleep without remembering anything the next morning. So me and my friends spent a lot of time together on PlayStation and at night we would usually talk ourselves to sleep over Discord or at least I did since she never sleeps. She just plays a game while I fall asleep. One night we talked and she was playing video games. I fell asleep around 9 or 10. I was pretty tired since I didn't get much sleep the night before. I woke up on my own about 8 a.m. and she was still awake asking me if I was okay. I responded with, yeah, why wouldn't I be? And she started talking about how last night on my mic she heard a girl scream and then start crying on my end of the mic while she played Overwatch. She almost thought it was me at first, but as the sobbing got a little quieter, she heard one of my sleep grunts in the background. She got really scared and apparently woke me up after it happened, asking me if it was alright and if anyone was in my room. I just told her that I was okay and my room was empty, but she could tell I didn't look as I didn't move. I learned later that this happened sometime around 12am to 12.30 and it lasted a full minute. My parents who were both home in the rooms on either side of mine didn't hear anything. As they both worked the night shift, they were both awake at this time and later in the night. This was about 3 or 4 weeks ago and one other time more recently I was only half asleep and she said she heard the screaming but she ended the call and called me back to wake me up but once again I didn't hear anything. Since then we haven't been doing that but I don't know if it still happens or what it is. She definitely isn't the type to lie and she seemed really spooked about it so I believe her fully. If any of you know what it could be I'd appreciate some explanations or advice on what I should do. Last night, my roommate and I made a last minute decision to go night swimming at the river in our city. It was around 8pm so there were still a few people hanging out in the area, but it was quite dark. About 15 minutes after we got there, I saw a man shining his flashlight, seemingly looking for something near where we put our stuff. I said, hey, keep an eye on that guy, to my roommate, semi loud, and he obviously heard us and scurried away. I began to feel anxious but I waited a little bit to say something to my roommate. Eventually I did and we decided to leave. We packed up our stuff and began to walk up a staircase that led to the parking lot using our flashlights to see the steps. Out of the corner of my eye I saw a dark shadow dodge into some bushes at the top. I stopped and grabbed my roommate's arm and said, uh, nope and started walking back down the stairs. I told my roommate what I saw when we got to the bottom and she said it was probably just a tree blowing in the wind. I started getting the strangest feeling in my stomach that I had never had before. I just knew that if we went up the stairs something bad was going to happen. I stood at the bottom and began to shine my light up at the top trying to see if I could see anyone and sure enough I saw the outline of a man for a split second. As soon as the light hit him he ducked behind some bushes again. Obviously, I went into full-blown panic mode and started looking for other people that were there hoping that someone could walk us to her car. Luckily, we found a couple not far from the steps and they walked us to the car but seemed quite annoyed about it. 
When we got on top of the steps, he was nowhere to be seen. A few hours after we got home, I got a notification on my neighbor's app, the Ring Doorbell app that sends crime alerts from your area that someone was stabbed only a few streets from where we were. I'm 100% certain this guy's intentions were bad. I don't know if he was planning on kidnapping us or robbing us, but I know something really bad would have happened if I hadn't been paying attention and we had walked up the stairs. Not sure if it's the same person that stabbed someone, but the notification just scared me even more. I still feel sick to my stomach because of all this. My husband was a trucker with a cross-country firm at the time. His driving partner separated from his girlfriend. According to the hubs, he couldn't afford to get his own place. I did find it odd because he made as much as my husband, who could clearly afford to keep a roof over our head. My little one was a newborn, and I was off on maternity leave. So his buddy moves into the spare room and makes himself at home. I do mean at home. He'd walk into the living room and change the channel while I was watching TV or turn on the stereo, fry himself a steak as a midnight snack, or eat an entire box of donuts and thought nothing of it. He would take a shower and drop his dirty clothes on the floor for me to pick up and wash, and he stared at me a lot. I found him creepy and inconsiderate and told my husband so. Finally, after a couple months of arguing about our unwelcome charity case, who never paid a cent, I told my husband that it was either him or me. This sparked a huge argument between the two of them, with his buddy accusing my husband of being pussy whooped and for not standing up for his friends. That did it for my husband and he told the guy that he needed to get out now. My husband drove him to a hotel and we thought that that was the end of it. The next day, we went to get groceries, as I had stopped buying anything but essentials so his buddy wouldn't eat everything. Imagine our shock when we get home and buddy walked out of the kitchen, wearing my husband's clothes and smoking his pipe. As you could imagine, the shit hit the fan. I went straight into the kitchen and phoned the police. In those days, there was no dialing 911, so it was taking a bit and he heard me talking. He bolted out of the house and we never saw him again. He never turned up to work again either. We discovered that he had broken in through the basement window, so we boarded up the basement and changed the locks. A week or so later, I decided to use my cash nest egg I stashed in my underwear drawer. It was gone and I realized that several pairs of my underpants were gone as well. I considered phoning the cops again at that point but decided we didn't want to be reminded of him and we moved shortly thereafter. I sure hope the next tenants never got an unexpected house guest. Yesterday, I met a man who really terrified me. I struggle a lot with mental health and I don't enjoy socializing. Therefore, I got in touch with this particular man who my municipality found through their organization where people with different struggles get support and help with socializing from a person who has this at their job. It's like a big brother, big sister kind of job. Literally anyone can get in touch and explain that they want this kind of job. 
It doesn't matter who they are. Anyways, as I sat down and waited for him, I was extremely nervous. I'm always nervous when it comes to meeting new people, mostly because I don't know what to say, how to interpret what they tell me, what to look at while talking to them, and so on. When he went up to where I was seated, my gut immediately said, No, you're not safe with this person. I just pushed through this though, and tried to ignore my gut feeling. He didn't say almost anything. He didn't ask me questions. He didn't talk about himself. He looked and felt distant. He wore what looked like old clothes. When I asked him questions, he almost never responded. If he did respond, he weakly answered yes or no. The few times he actually talked, it didn't make much sense and he talked so unclearly that I had to ask him multiple times to repeat himself. If I didn't keep the conversation going, he wouldn't talk at all. Occasionally, he would mumble something inaudible and then almost expect me to give him a response. The only time he talked to me more clearly was when he told me, I don't like people staring in at my house. I use blinds so no one can stare. There were a few people who would walk by my house and are able to take a look through my window, but it doesn't happen often. I should get a lamp in my house. It's so dark there. I freaked the hell out and wanted my father to come and get me. He said he wanted to keep in touch, but I didn't give him a direct answer to his statement. I told him I had to catch the bus for my ride home, and he immediately said, so do I, and went the same direction as me. Luckily, my father told me that he was nearby and was able to pick me up. I know the situation probably doesn't seem very creepy or sketchy, but I was absolutely terrified. By the way, we went for a walk and he wanted to walk into the forest, but I told him I didn't want to. He asked me why, and when I told him it felt more comfortable to walk in public, he just answered, Oh. Also, when I asked him what he did for a living, he very weakly said, I run my own company. I had many customers before, but haven't had any for a while. He didn't really tell me anything about what he worked with through his company and with his customers and seemed reluctant to even share the slightest amount of personal information. He looked way older than the age he described himself as. One evening about five years ago, I traveled to the Loch Ness with my friend to see the Loch and the surrounding area. We had planned on arriving by afternoon, spend the evening, then travel to the hotel when it got dark. We got there with no problems and spent the day together, taking in the beautiful landscape. The moon began to rise and then we noticed it was time to head back. As my friend began to drive back, she went around a sharp bend. And I mean the word too, it's very meaning. She narrowly avoided a man standing on the edge. She's quite understandably in shock and slammed on her brakes in sheer panic. She began to hyperventilate. As I tried to calm her, she believed she hit the man when she swerved. The man was okay, as we learned later, because he walked towards the car and apologized for standing so near to the road. After, he tried to make small talk with repeated apologies. He showed me two pictures and asked me if I knew who the two people were. 
because he was trying to track them down. It was dark, so I switched the light on and quickly glanced, then said I didn't. I showed my friend and she just shook her head without properly looking. She was still in shock. The man didn't ask for the photos back, nor did the conversation go any further. He apologized again and wished us a good night. Without realizing, I joked that we would be better back at the hotel. He laughed and walked off. We drove on. I looked at the two pictures more closely and felt a sick pit in my stomach. One of the pictures was of me and my friend standing over the water edge looking into the lock with my arms wrapped around her. The picture had been taken from behind. The second picture was of me and my friend walking together, our faces clearly seen. That picture was taken from the side, but it must have been done in a wooded area because you could see tree branches. We both sat there for about an hour with the pictures in our fingertips facing us, speechless. I tried to remember the man, but I couldn't remember any features because of the darkness, besides a beard, glasses, and that he was soft-spoken. Later that night, I was awoken by my friend who was screaming frantically. When I ran into the room, she said that the man with the glasses was watching her through the window. We packed up and left, and have never been back to Loch Ness since. When I was a kid, I used to go up to the Smoky Mountains and stay there with my friend and her family for a few days to a week. One time, my friend's dad drove me and my friend down to Asheville, North Carolina, which was about an hour and a half away. My friend and I had to put a lot of makeup on that day because we were preteen girls and we were having fun with makeup. Even with the makeup, it was still very obvious that we were children. We went into a mellow mushroom to sit down and eat when a man who was probably in his 30s or 40s started talking to my friend. The situation quickly turned sinister when it became apparent that the man thought my friend's dad was a pimp and he was interested in my friend. I'm pretty sure my friend's dad threatened to disembowel the dude and then we all promptly left and drove back to the mountain home. My friend's dad had to explain to us later what happened and why we left so abruptly. Last year, I was packing up my apartment, ready to move out of my college town. This apartment wasn't in the best area, but it was mostly college students, so it felt pretty safe. I had a friend over and we were drinking some mimosas, just happy to be done with our undergrad, both 22 years old and female. It was around 2pm on a Saturday when someone knocked on my door. I looked through the peephole and there was no one there. So I cracked the door, thinking my roommate had a package delivered, but there was nothing. This person must have been hiding behind the corner, because as I closed the door, they lunge out and put their full weight into the door. But luckily, I was able to get it closed and locked. They began pounding on the door, asking for help. It sounded like a woman, but I couldn't tell, looking through the peephole. They continued knocking for a minute, and pleaded to be let in. My girlfriend and I were standing there frozen. Why were you hiding if you needed help? Also, my apartment was on the fourth floor, back corner, so it's pretty unlikely my apartment was the quickest to reach. After a few minutes, they just calmly walked away. Later that day, I asked my neighbor if anyone came to their door, but she had no idea what I was talking about. 
Nothing else happened, but I'm still very curious what they really wanted from me. When I was in the fifth grade, I recall going to McDonald's with my two twin friends and their mother. We were standing in line waiting to order. I was leaning on the wall behind me and looking around. This is when the altercation occurred. An old man was sitting at some sort of counter table thing close to the registers. I don't remember what he was doing, but I recall his pen dropping. He seemed to notice it, but as I stated before, he was old, so he had a hard time leaning down. Being the sweet little 10 year old that I was, I did a small jog over to him, bent over, and picked up his pen. As I did, he smiled at me and said, Good thing my zipper wasn't down, huh? Being so young, I totally didn't understand what the hell he meant, so I just awkwardly agreed and laughed. Afterwards, I went back with my friends, ordered the meal, and waited at the table with them. I finally asked my friend's mom, what does zipper wasn't down mean? And she only gave me a confused look. When further pressed, I told her about the encounter, and she got so pissed off that she tried to look for the man, but he wasn't there anymore. It wasn't until high school when I went back to the same McDonald's in which I remembered this experience and that disgusting old man again. I would say let's not meet again, but I think we should. Being in the army and growing as strong as I am, I probably would deck him in the face now. I'm not sure how old I was, but I was really small, maybe around 6. I was with a bunch of people from my church, having a barbecue at the river. All the kids were swimming in the water. I didn't know how to swim yet, so I just stayed waist deep in the shallow parts. At some point, this girl came up to me and was playing with me. We were splashing each other and stuff. The weird thing is she was probably about 13 or so, and I didn't even know who she was, even though I knew everyone else there. Apparently, no one was paying attention to us. She started pushing me out deeper and deeper to where I couldn't touch. She kept laughing the whole time. My head kept going underwater. I tried grabbing onto her arms when she would push me, but she easily knocked my grip loose. The slight current slowly pulled me away from my friends and my family while I struggled to tread water. I was panicking, but she wouldn't stop pushing me and laughing. I could not possibly have looked like I was having fun. I would try to yell, but was only ever above water long enough to take a breath. Every time my feet touched the mud, for a split second, she would just push me again. I couldn't believe she was laughing. I was sure I was going to drown, and no one seemed to notice. Of all the people to intervene, it would happen to be my childhood bully, Zachary. He had always been a jerk to me, mentally and physically abusive. But I still feel like that day he saved my life. He came up to her and told her to get away from me. He grabbed me by my arm and pulled me to where I could stand again. Then he ran off and continued to play with other kids his age. As if nothing happened, the girl was already a ways away too. I went on playing and as with so much other things, I don't think I told anyone until I was much older. Pretty sure I never saw that girl again. My father's best friend, a man and his wife that I've known since I was a baby, always unsettled me. His wife hated me. She hates kids. 
and he would pay attention to me, watch me, even if I ignored him. By the time I was 12, I knew things about him that I shouldn't know, like favorite sex jokes, positions, preferences, you know, stuff that you might say to your best friend, my dad, but not with their 12-year-old daughter around. When I turned 16, there was a night where he was over, and I was in a spaghetti strap shirt with night pants, about to go to bed. I was saying goodnight to everyone in the house. My dad had gone to the bathroom, and this guy's wife was in rehab for drugs, so she wasn't there. He got up from the table and went to give me a hug goodnight. This was really weird since I never initiated any hugging, and he would never initiate one with me. This hug lasted forever. My arms at my side, his arms trapping me against him. He finally released me from the hug, but placed his hands on my arms and looked at me. This look still makes my skin crawl. He looks down at my chest and whispers, Wow, you've gotten so much bigger. His thumbs are ghosting over my arms and closer to my chest. I was too startled and unnerved that I froze. I couldn't think to move. This man, a man that helped my dad change my diapers, was lusting over how big my boobs got when I was 16 years old. Thankfully, before anything got worse, my father got out of the bathroom and this guy backed away. I would never go around him after that. I told my dad that when he would be there, I was not going to stay there. So Marvin, let's not meet again. This is a story which took a while to find out about from my parents. My family, mom, dad, big sister, and I were on holiday at a big family style resort in the 90s. For context, this happened somewhere in a South American country. I've told this story many times and don't want to dox myself by giving away too many details. For context, I have no recollection of this event, but I do remember parts of the holiday, the seas, the white sands, banana trees. The four of us were staying at one of those classic family hotels. The ones where the buffet breakfast has eggs, bacon, fresh fruit, and pancakes galore. The type where there's also a lot of kids and lots of animation for them. There was a kids club where I go and I remember making a friend there too. A little boy my age. That's all I remember. The rest is all for my dad's recounting. We were in the hotel playing area, my parents and I, a woman working for the hotel and part of the kids club animation team was playing with me. I was a cute little shy blonde kid and she started playing with me and talking to me. My parents relax, enjoying their holiday knowing that their daughter is being entertained by the kids club staff. All good until my dad turns around and sees that I'm missing. I'm not next to them. The woman playing with me is also nowhere in sight. With Papa Bear reflexes, my dad stands up to see the woman walking slowly but surely across the hotel with his daughter in her arms. He begins chasing her down the hotel and she takes up some speed, beginning to run with me. This was a vast hotel complex, so there's a long way to go. My dad says he ran after her through doors that she would shut in his face. By a stroke of luck, he managed to catch up with her just before she made it to the side exit and pulled me out of her hands. In shock, he grabbed me and ran back, letting the woman disappear into the forest. Immediately, my parents went to the hotel to complain and let them know either their staff 
or someone pretending to be staff tried to kidnap me, the hotel brushed it off casually and said, Oh, don't worry about it. This happens sometimes. I hope this hotel changed since the 90s, but it really makes me think how fucked up it is that the hotel didn't give a shit. It was almost like they were in on it somehow. Let's start off with some backstory. My parents had shared custody of me until my dad went to start working away. So I moved in with my mom. She lived about two hours away from where I lived with my dad in a pretty shitty suburb. Plenty of junkies and alkies. I was 12 or 13 at the time, maybe younger. This guy named Craig was my neighbor. My house was at the end of the road, then an empty house, then Craig's house. Craig's house was about the same size as ours, but he had about 10 people living there. They were aboriginals, so it's not unusual to have that many people living in a small house. It was about 8.30 p.m. and one of my small dogs had gotten out of the house and ran down the road. So me, being the good fur mom I am, went out to go look for him. I called for him a few times until I started to panic. Craig was sitting in his lawn, drinking, with plenty of empty bottles beside him. I was on my lawn when he stood up, with only the vacant house lawn separating us. Craig waved me over, telling me to come closer, so I did. I walked closer. He told me that he had a small dog in his backyard, and if I didn't hurry up and get it, he was gonna fucking kill that mongrel and hang it all over your house. I was in shock, so I walked closer. Then, one of the women I lived with came running out and told me to get away from the man. I snapped out of it and basically ran inside my house. What happened was, my dog had basically done a lap of the neighborhood and came up right next to our house. He dug under the fence and into the backyard. One of the women I lived with heard him bark, so she asked the others if I was still looking for him, and that's when the lady called for me. To the old man who told me he was going to kill my dog. I hope you fucking die. This was after a Christmas Eve party. When everyone went home, I decided to stay because my cousin and I were watching a movie. My uncle, who used to walk his dogs into the woods next to a park, went off to take them out. Before this, my aunt told him to not do that because it was too dark out there. It was around 4 or 5 in the morning. So he went off anyway, with my aunt still worried, so I went along with him. Once there, everything was quiet. My uncle and his dogs were having a small relaxing walk as usual, and I wasn't paying much attention to the surroundings when suddenly, the dogs went still. This wasn't strange, they always stopped to stare and bark at other animals they noticed, like rats, birds, insects, and other dogs. However, this time was different. When the dog got still, my uncle noticed something was going wrong. The dogs weren't angry or curious. They were kind of nervous, anxious, afraid. One of the dogs, the largest one, was growling and shaking. My uncle started to worry about the situation when we hear it. People in the woods. We didn't see how many because of the darkness, but they were saying something. We all gather here by the blood of, we, thee, and thy. As my uncle and I heard this, he yelled for his dogs to follow him out of the woods. As we all left, he turned his back and saw a slight movement of the branches and shrubs. 
Perhaps because the people were trying to hide. After that happened, he wouldn't walk his dogs near those woods or in the dark either. One night, I was in bed with my boyfriend. It was about 1.30 a.m. I get a random text from my number saying, Is this my name? Sorry for messaging late and out of the blue like this, but I don't think my boyfriend is being honest with me and I need to talk to you. We exchange a few texts and basically they're accusing my boyfriend of cheating on both of us. Obviously I was annoyed, but bear in mind, it was June 2020, in the middle of coronavirus lockdown in the UK. We'd spent every day together since March. He denied it all and insisted he didn't know who the person was. The same number started texting him, angry texts, calling him a lying rat. Not looking good for boyfriend. But this is where it gets weird. This person gives no specifics. They won't tell me their name, what my boyfriend has done, only that he was a liar and that I was an idiot for believing him. I'd ask, but they would mostly reply with vague, angry texts. Their grammar and spelling was good, but they'd use slang words from our local area. We assumed that it might be some kids that found our numbers off of Facebook and were having a laugh, so we tried to ignore it. Then nothing, till my boyfriend gets a text the following afternoon asking him to meet them in a local social club for some company. My friend and I go straight in the car and went down there. No one was there and the club was closed because of COVID. We couldn't help but feel that we were being watched. It was really weird. A few days go by and the same number starts texting me again. This time, the text language is all weird like spelling mistakes. It felt like it was a different person texting me. They seemed a lot angrier with me now because I didn't believe them straight away. Then they text me, you're so dull. I see him leaving your house earlier, laughing my ass off. Being cocky, I said something like, funny, then where's my house then? And they reply with my fucking street name. They also knew things about us, like the fact that he was in the army but I guess you could have figured that out from his social media photos. I called them Lowe's, but it would just ring twice and cut off. Tried searching the number on WhatsApp and on the other few social media sites, but nothing. Only on Instagram, the number would come up with a local film company in Netherlands. When I googled the number, the provider is Tisney. I never heard of it, but it looks like it might be a fake number. They never asked for any money or anything like that, either. Don't know why someone would go through that much effort just to wind us up. Last text I had was, Okay, you will see eventually. Just creepy. Any advice, please? Sorry this is a bit long. I know this isn't a therapist's office, but this has been bothering me for a long time and I wanted to get it off my chest. This happened June 2018 in Portland, Oregon. I understand that I acted like an idiot in this situation, 
Since then, I have become more observant, cautious, and honestly, much more paranoid. I went dancing with friends and was really drunk by midnight. Unfortunately, this was back when I had little money and I realized you could save money by eating very little before going out and it would take far fewer drinks to get drunk. So I was so drunk, I barely remember my friend ordering me an Uber ride home. My phone was dead of course. I vaguely recall them helping me into the car and telling me to get home safe. I don't remember greeting the driver or the first minute or so. Soon after getting in, he asked me how my night was and if I smoked. Honestly, I was just thinking about bed at this point, so I sort of just slurred out that I did sometimes. He offered me a joint, and this is the first moment I sort of get nervous and begin paying attention. I'd tell him something like, I'm really tired and just want to go home. I think he said something about it being an indica-based joint and it made great for sleep. Once again, I say something not exactly like no, but not a yes, which he takes as a yes, I'll take at the joint now. Once again, I'm still drunk enough I can barely see straight or speak clearly. So when he says, okay, we'll have to cancel the ride real quick because I can't give it to you while I'm on the clock or something to that effect. It takes me a second to realize how dangerous that was. And by the time I start to say something, he has canceled the ride and pulls over. We were in an area just east of the Hawthorne Bridge, I think, and it was totally secluded. Some empty parking lots, a close by auto body shop with no one in sight. It started to hit me. I'm now in a car, not with an Uber driver, but with some stranger. I can't call anyone and he's trying to give me weed that could have anything in it. For the next minute or so, we're pretty quiet. Or I just can't remember any small talk he tried to make because I was beginning to panic. And every time he handed me the joint, I would take fake hits, just breathing into my mouth and not into my lungs. I felt tired, clumsy, and weak. That kind of drunk where you're almost at the point of nausea and I knew I couldn't do much of anything to defend myself at that point. I remember vividly being fixated for a moment on the fact that I didn't even have a pair of keys to defend myself with as my building uses fobs for just about everything and I didn't take my mail key with me. As I'm freaking out, I look up to see this guy sort of noticing and I make eye contact with him in the mirror. He was staring at me but I couldn't read his expression. Finally, he says something along the lines of, well, let's get out of here. I tell him I'll just call another Uber home, thinking at this point it might be safer to walk. And he says, no, I still have your address. I'll take you home. For a moment, I was relieved. I guess I wanted to believe him badly that I was gonna get home safe. I tried to calm myself down, thinking he hadn't actually done anything threatening. Maybe he was just your typical stoner guy, and I was overreacting. At this time, I lived on the PSU campus in downtown Portland, in the southwest area of the city. He was driving me north, on the east side of the river. There are several bridges to our left, and as he keeps moving north, 
He has several opportunities to take the exit and hop over the river to get me back downtown. He keeps skipping all of them. We keep passing bridge after bridge that could get me home. Up in northeast Portland, there are some large industrial areas that can get very isolated at night. And Portland in general is surrounded by a lot of forests, so I knew he could take me to a secluded area really quickly. After he passes like the fourth exit for a bridge, pretty sure it was Broadway Bridge. I've been racking my brain for a way to make him actually take me home and say something to the effect of, Hey, my boyfriend is waiting for me at home. Which was true, though I said it in a very meek way. The driver says nothing, but did take the next exit bridge and basically hung a giant U-turn and started taking me home. Even as we were on the west side of town, heading south, I was still shaking and my hands were on the door handle, thinking about just hopping out of the car at a red light the closer we got to my apartment. My phone is completely dead and he honestly still had several chances to hop onto a nearby highway and speed off out of the city. We're getting pretty close to my apartment now and I'm once again trying to convince myself that I'm being paranoid about a stoner that can't navigate the city. Although a few minutes before I was so scared I was crying. So once we get about two blocks from my apartment, I lie and tell him it's easiest to stop here and he can let me out. Again, he doesn't say anything, but does slow the car. I'm flooded with relief and even feel myself smile, but when I go to open the door, it's locked. I try to lift the lock mechanism manually, but it won't budge. I look up at him instinctively to see what's up and he's got his head turned almost fully around towards me, his shoulders still facing the road, smiling at me. The worst fucking smile I've ever seen. I just started to cry and asking him to open the door. I was so freaked out and still very drunk and thank god he did. I will never forget the sensation of vulnerability not just being drunk in a car with no way to contact anyone but even as I got out of the car I kept feeling like he would somehow grab the back of my shirt and pull me back in as silly as that sounds. When I got home, I found out that my boyfriend had actually gone out with his friends at the last minute and wasn't even home. He wouldn't have even known until much later if I had got him back safe. The next day I convinced myself that I was freaking out over nothing, which I realized still could be the case, but in my gut I had truly felt in danger the night before. Technically this guy could have been totally harmless but I still think I should have texted my friend and reported him. The big thing that made me think of this was recently hearing about how Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, would go for practice runs picking up hitchhikers and seeing if he could get the passengers, potential victims, to trust him and how far out of his comfort zone he could push them without them saying anything. Obviously this guy wasn't Ed but I hate wondering if that night was a practice run of some sort for my Uber driver. So I'm temporarily driving for Uber while we're slow at my salon due to the virus. Today I picked up an older guy, at least my dad's age, 53. 
Things started out fine with small talk. Then he mentioned how I'm the cutest Uber driver he's had. Mind you, I had a nappy bun straight out of bed. No eyebrows today. My natural brows are very light. And a mask on. He proceeds to ask me if I have a boyfriend, to which I reply, No, I have a girlfriend. So he tells me about his son that's gay and shows me a pic. So I ask if he's married. He then tells me that he's not married anymore, but he was, and his kids' ages, very close to mine. And then he tells me that he has a girlfriend and that they're swingers. Not sure why he mentioned the swinger part. Then it got weird. Right before we get to a stop, he started asking if I was completely lesbian, and I told him yes, and he asked why. I simply said that I didn't like any part of being in a relationship with men. He has me pull into the back of a building where there were no other people, just a bunch of parked 18 wheelers and trailers. When I pull up into the destination, he asks randomly if he could show me a video with no context. I say sure, not thinking anything of it. He shows me a snippet of a homemade porno of him and his girlfriend. I won't say what was in the video, but it was disgusting. He says, isn't that so goddamn hot? You could see all over my face that I was uncomfortable. And at this point, we were already at his location and he wouldn't get out. He continued to try to ask me inappropriate questions saying, well, what's the difference between a strap on and the real thing? And at that point, I was like, I gotta go. Thankfully, he got out on his own without me having to be hostile. I was trying to avoid being hostile because we were in my car alone and he was a tall man and I'm very petite. With all the crazy people in the world, I didn't want to take a chance of upsetting him and it turning violent. Before he shuts my door, he says, I'd love to talk some more. If that's okay with you, don't tell your girlfriend what I showed you. I said bye, have a good day, and drove off. I reported him to Uber, and they have been in touch with me. My wife and I had recently moved into our first house, and we had just had our first baby. To make some extra money, I started driving for Uber a few times a week. Anyway, I got a hit and started driving to the pickup location which turned out to be an extended stay America Hotel. I've picked up people from these sorts of locations before and some of them had been very unique individuals. I pull up out front. The notification was sent to his phone that I had arrived. I waited for a minute or two at the front entrance where I presumed he was going to be emerging. The sun had only just started to set so the visibility was pretty good. A man emerged. When I say emerged, I literally mean that he must have taken a running jump because he bursted through the bushes and tree line and landed two-footed. He was around 40, slim built, and had a spring in his step, which was noticeable. He wasn't dirty or unkempt in any way, so I presumed that he was just having a smoke or something. He had awful teeth and his skin was pale. Either way, him emerging from the bushes so dramatically was strike one. 
He got in the car and we greeted each other. He was immediately very chatty and started telling me about all aspects of his life without me asking or letting me get a word in. He told me that he had just got back from a business trip, that he had been kicked out of his house because he had been away on business for so long. No, he wasn't. We were on the way to his house so he could pick up a few things and head back. Delightful. He started asking me about myself, but between every new question, he would ask me again what my name was, to which I told him over and over again. He was in the back seat and I could feel him really close behind me, breathing heavily as I answered the questions in a guarded but friendly way. It sounds strange, but I am sure that he was sniffing me. When he started to twitch, it dawned on me that he was tweaking, not terribly, but enough where it was pretty noticeable, if you were aware of the signs. Strike two. We arrived at his house and I pull up in the driveway. He says that he won't be long and he'll give me a good tip when I take him back to the hotel. He gets out, I leave the car on. Lo and behold, he doesn't seem to have a key. After trying the basement entryway, a few windows, and kicking the door multiple times, he storms up to the outdoor staircase, to the ground floor, main entrance. He starts aggressively trying to force the door while hurling a tirade of abuse at whoever he thought was responsible for his situation. A guy suddenly appears from the side of the house, presumably from the bushes, and he shouts that he told him to never show his face here again and to give him his money. Within seconds, they are full-on fighting in front of my car. There's a large thud as the grappling duo land on the hood of my car and roll on the ground. I zone out for a second, thinking how the actual hell I found myself in this situation. At this point, they are rolling around on the driveway, fighting in front of my car. The actual homeowner must have been winning because suddenly the man I had picked up started screaming at the top of his lungs. Uber driver, help me. Uber driver, why don't you help me? Over and over. The look of exasperation I must have had on my face. How could this dude not know my name? He asked me like 30 times. Strike three. I calmly put my car into reverse and drove the hell out of there. I looked into my rearview mirror and they were still brawling. I have no idea what happened to the Uber passenger or the homeowner, but I went straight home and was thoroughly creeped out. I've been driving for Lyft ever since. When I was in college, I found myself Ubering to make money. This is Southern California and LA at the time was a constant flow of work. Occasionally you pick up people in a nice area and they would tell you that they were sleeping with someone in a relationship or that themselves were cheating. This was depressingly common. I think that saying what they were doing to someone gave them a weird kind of relief. Once I drove someone from Hollywood to Hemet, California, he was very charming and funny. When I dropped him off, it was a big blue building that they buzzed us into. He left me a $200 cash tip. I later found out that this was known as Gold Base for the Church of Scientology. If you don't know what that is, it's a completely normal, not weird at all in any way, location. 
owned by the Church of Scientology. Feel free to Google it. A few months into my Uber career, insurance companies started using rideshare service and some people who were more down on their luck would use it. Sometimes this was people just trying to get their kids to school, but sometimes it was much more sad. I can't tell you how much times I showed up to the doctor's office to see someone with accessibility limitations, faces drop at seeing my tiny car instead of a van like they needed. The people with substance problems were interactions that would stay with you. Once I picked up a man going to a dental appointment, I drove him for about a half an hour. He told me how he used to run drugs in the 90s until they caught him with a few pounds of coke. He told me about when he was moved from Nevada to Florida for trial, how he traveled handcuffed in a van, how the cops would stop only once a day at McDonald's and for their $1 menu item of the day. He asked me to stop at a liquor store and he chucked a teeny bottle of booze, shoved a mint in his mouth, then sipped on a soda. He smelled like pure alcohol when I dropped him off at the dentist. Near my house was a methadone clinic. I would get up before dawn to be able to take those rides. Early bird gets a worm. Almost always they were sweet and thankful. Sometimes they were a little out of it but I never felt like I was in danger or anything like that. Just good people going through tough times. These rides were the most consistently depressing. People who were going to court clearly drunk or high. Older women who had trouble requesting a ride and had been waiting in the parking lot of their dialysis place into the night. They'd tell me their stories sometimes. A person who was going to court for a child custody case. People struggling with mental illness. Some mornings were exhausting. Being up that early, you'd hit another crowd that I never anticipated. Funeral goers. The saddest funeral ride was when a man and a woman got into the back seat. Rather than speaking to me, the man handed me a neon printout of a map of the cemetery with instructions on what plot to go to with hello I am attending my father's funeral my wife and I are deaf please follow these directions written on the back of it the whole ride I could hear them signing to one another and trying not to cry there were also a lot of retired gamblers they leave their houses at 7 in the morning take a $70 Uber out to the desert and spend the whole day gambling at the reservation casinos. The desert is where I saw the weirdest things. The desert was the only place I ever felt scared driving. It was in Temecula, the wine country of Southern California. Lots of wooded roads and desert. I picked up a lady just off the freeway at what I initially assumed was at the edge of a golf resort but it was an unpaved access road. It was late and the area was especially dark. I was getting ready to call the passenger when I saw them coming down the unpaved access road. It was a tall blonde woman with a very nice pantsuit. She was absurdly put together considering how she had just walked God knows how long in heels down a dirt rock road. She got into my car and she was very pleasant. 
She told me that she lived in a gated community that was hard for Ubers to get to and that it was easier to send me to the access road. I thought it was weird, but I didn't want to be creepy asking about where she lived. She was friendly, chatty even. She was going to a dinner party and as she spoke to me, I could feel her looking at me in the rearview mirror the entire ride. We drove a half hour away from the freeway to one of those rural neighborhoods that you would hear celebrities had huge parties at. Eventually, we reached the address, which was a paved road lined with trees. She told me to keep driving, and I didn't think much of it. Again, we were in a mansion-style neighborhood. We hit a white ranch-style fence after a minute or so going down the road. That was when I started feeling a bit uneasy. There were around a dozen no trespassing signs and one of those classic forget the dog, beware of the owner signs with a guy pointing a pistol at you. I thought it was more than a little blunt to have that many signs, but hey, not my property. We drove for a minute when we came to another fence. It was at the top of a hill and overlooked a barn with some lights in the distance. I know this sounds weird, but it was unpleasant. I couldn't put my finger on it. It was just a barn with what looked like a barbecue going on. But being out in the woods without any lights had me freaked out. The passenger told me that I could just slide the gate open. As I approached the fence, I saw signs that made me stop cold. Off to the side of the gate, not quite in the dark, but on the fringe of my headlights, there were metal signs with bolt holes through them swastikas, and confederate flags brightly displayed. SoCal has a lot of white supremacist pockets. I had dropped off dozens of passengers in cities like Norco and driven down streets where people were drinking in the garage and Nazi flags proudly hung behind them. It wasn't my favorite, but I wasn't spending any time in those neighborhoods more than I needed to. This was different though. It was after 11 p.m. at night, and I had no idea where I was. I opened the gate, and down the road I saw what I assumed were cell phone flashlights lighting up and coming up the incline. This made me very uncomfortable. I went back and told the woman I didn't think my car could make it back up the hill if I went down it. What are you talking about? Just take me. It's right there. She was getting more heated and I could see the lights slowly making their way up the hill. She kept telling me I needed to cancel the ride and she wouldn't pay to not be taken the entire way. I told her the pin I was supposed to take her to was miles back up the road. But I was so nervous, I relented and canceled on my end. She slammed the door as she got out. I took off before I could see the cell phone light people get closer. The road back was much rougher at the speed I was going at. I felt a bump that felt like I hit a body, but I kept going. My car was driving like shit, but I kept driving till I passed the fence out of that rich neighborhood until I stopped at the gas station. My right rear tire was fucked up and I needed to change it. There were a few nails that looked like they had been attached to a piece of wood in my tire. I was freaked out so hard and sometimes I wish I called the cops and reported it. 
But of course, all that happened was I got a flat on a back road and didn't want to spend the rest of my night waiting on the cop car. I know it's far more likely that I freaked myself out than a bunch of Nazis planning to mess with some random Uber driver. But when I picked up a well-dressed businesswoman from a remote location and dropped her off at a separate remote location, it gave me chills that I have trouble explaining to this day. I got off work around 10 p.m. and headed home. I live alone and always make sure my front door is locked before I leave for work, but when I got home, the door was unlocked. I knew for a fact I locked it when I left because like I stated, I always lock it. I have severe OCD and would have not forgotten to lock my door as I am too obsessed with my routine to forget. I was thoroughly unsettled by this and immediately retrieved my 9mm pistol from the drawer next to the front door. I set the bag of fast food I picked up down and looked around the dark living room, fumbling for the light switch. Once the light flickered on, to my utter horror, my apartment was in complete disarray. Paperwork strewn all over the floor that had been put away in my office and my social security card and birth certificate were among the mess. I quickly made my way into the office and once I entered the room, I found that all the drawers were open and my computer had been turned on and was on the lock screen as if someone tried to get into my computer. I checked the rest of my apartment and didn't find anybody. I put my gun back and immediately phoned the police. They arrived fairly quickly took a report of the break-in. They asked me if I had any enemies or if I made anyone mad recently, to which I responded that I haven't. No such thing had occurred. And furthermore, I'm not the type to have quarrels with people. I was quite dumbstruck by what I had come home to. I cleaned up the mess and attempted to go to sleep, but tossed and turned most of the night while laying with my gun under my pillow. I would like to add that I'm also a very paranoid person, so the whole thing naturally had me freaked out. And every night I go to bed, I have my gun under my pillow. The next day I had off, so I left to go hiking with my girlfriend. We had started dating six months ago. I left around 9am and stopped by the Starbucks next to my apartment. While I sat in the busy drive through line, I looked up and noticed a man staring at me from across the street on the same side as my apartment complex. The thing that was most interesting about this man was how much of a resemblance to me he bared. This guy had the same exact hair as me, was about the same height and weight, wore glasses like me, and looked about the same age as me too. He didn't appear to have any expression on his face and just stood there, still as a statue, staring at me. It was my turn to get my order, so I grabbed my coffee and when I went to pull out of the drive-thru, the man was gone. The day went on as planned and my girlfriend and I had a great day together. I told her about the incident at my apartment and the man who looked like me and she joked that perhaps my doppelganger had broken into my apartment. 
After I parted ways with my girlfriend, I made my way home. I was a bit nervous to re-return to my home, fearing that whoever broke into my apartment might have returned. Whatever they were there for that night, they seemed to be looking for something. I arrived back at my apartment and made my way to my apartment unit. I live upstairs and as I approached the stairs to my front door, I heard someone coming down the stairs. I was still a good distance from the stairwell and was alarmed as I didn't have a neighbor who lived upstairs, therefore no one should be coming down those stairs. I stopped to see who it was and to my shock, it was none other than the same man I had seen earlier that morning. He walked quickly and looked down as he walked. I shouted at him to stop, but as soon as he heard me, he took off running and hopped the fence that separates the apartment complex from a large field and disappeared into the night. I ran upstairs to my apartment and tried the doorknob, which was once again unlocked. I went inside and was horrified. All over my living room walls were pictures of me and my girlfriend from that day. Pictures that looked as if they had been taken right behind the tree line next to the trail that her and I were on. I once again called the police and reported the break-in. They came in search of the apartment as well as the entire complex. I told them about the man I saw running into the field. They searched the field and returned with a pair of eyeglasses and a wig. The police took the items they found into evidence and opened a case. They stationed two police cars outside my apartment and informed my apartment manager about what was going on. It's been almost a week since this all started and nothing else has happened since. No more random break-ins or creepy photos of me and my girlfriend. I have also been staying with a co-worker of mine until things die down. I have no idea why whoever is doing this is targeting me. Based on the items that the police found in the field, my guess is this person is actually pretending to be me for some odd reason. I don't know what any of this means. Update. I returned to my apartment and everything is how I left it. The door is locked and everything is fine. I feel relieved and I'm hoping that this nightmare is over. I only have one small lead that I'd like to share. I text my old friend to ask him if he knows anything and he sent me back laughing emojis and then blocked me. This is normal behavior for him, however, as he has mental health issues and acts erratic at times. Once again, I'll try to update you guys if anything else occurs 